right, Isaiah 28. I'd encourage those of you in the back, if you're so able, to move forward once we stand. Uh, but uh, let's, we're going to look at the first four verses again. We'll quickly review and then jump into point number three. All right, let's stand if you're so able to do, if you're able to do that. Isaiah 28 in your Bibles. We'll be looking at the first four verses in introduction, and then we'll um, we'll be finishing out the chapter tonight. All right, verse one: Woe to the crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower which are on the heads of the fat valleys of them that are overcome with wine. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, which as a tempest of hail and destroying storm, as a flood of mighty waters overflowing, shall cast down the earth with the hand. The crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim, shall be trodden underfoot after the glorious beauty, which is on the head of the fat valley, shall be a fading flower, a fading flower. And as the hasty fruit before the summer, which when... He that looked upon it seeth, while it is yet in the hand, he eateth it up. And so the title of our Bible study we began last week, we'll finish tonight, is this, the fading flower of pride. And that's exactly what pride does, is it, uh, it causes you to just fall apart, doesn't it? When you're lifted up in pride, you can bet on uh, being snipped away, and then that, that, that life source that made that flower pretty is gone because your pride has cut that, and over time that beauty fades, and um, that's exactly what happened to Israel here. Let's pray, and we will uh, uncover, unearth some more truths out of the chapter tonight. Lord, help us as we look at the importance of Scripture tonight, and Lord, uh, developing a good appetite towards Scripture, a healthy respect for it, and understanding of its importance in our life. Lord, um, show us exactly tonight what you have for each one of us. Spirit of God, I can only speak in generic terms, but Lord, uh, Spirit, you can drive these truths home to each and every heart uh, as you see fit and as is needed. So Lord, customize the message to each one of us and help us to leave here tonight with a deeper understanding of Scripture, but Lord, also with our heart touched. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, Isaiah 28, we said that uh, this chapter opens up a new section of the book of Isaiah and points at five woes over the next handful of chapters, all of them pointed at the nation of Israel. Uh, chapter 28's woe points to the nation of, uh, of Ephraim or the ten northern tribes, and the last four woes are more aimed at Judah and the southern kingdom of Judah and so um, uh, shortly after chapter 28 was written, in short order, the, the uh, prophecies would be fulfilled. And Ephraim or Samaria or Israel, those three names being synonymous, uh, would, uh, th- that prophecy would come to pass and they would be carried away by the Assyrians and still have not been reestablished as a result. So let's jump in tonight and uh, look at the first two points by way of review and then right into point number three. We said point number one, the crown of pride, the crown of pride. Look back at verse one. You see, woe to the crown of pride. Verse three, the crown of pride, the drunkards of Ephraim. Um, we said last week that uh, you wear a crown when you're proud of something. We talked about how all of us battle with pride. There's not a single person alive that doesn't battle with pride. It's something that rears its ugly head in all of our lives. But some people don't battle it. They embrace it. They put it on their head. They brag about it. They're excited about their pride. And uh, Ephraim, uh, Israel, uh, they had gotten to the place where they were so 
proud that they were proud they were proud and uh, they wore it uh, as though it was something uh, to show off. And so we, we looked at an A, B, and a C as far as attributes of their pride. We talked about their drunkenness. And we said that uh, this was a spiritual drunkenness. You've heard it said that someone's drunk on themselves or someone's drunk on entertainment or someone's drunk on work. Uh, they were drunk on pride. There was a spiritual pride going here, going on here. And, uh, they thought their city, Samaria, was impenetrable. They had built up uh, their city in such a way to where uh, there was no surrounding the city and starving them out. No, there was no siege that they thought they could be laid successfully against uh, their city because they were looking at it through the eyes of humans. There was a spiritual drunkenness of pride, but it goes beyond that. There was a physical Drunkenness. You may remember Ahab wanting Naboth's vineyard. You all remember the story of Ahab wanting Naboth's vineyard, and he came down and tried to bite off Naboth, and Naboth looked at him and said, It's not for sale. And Ahab said, Name the price, and I'll pay it. It's not for sale. And uh, you know, Ahab went inside his palace, and he sat on his bed, and he refused to eat. He stuck out his lower lip. Right? I don't know if he did that part or not, but according to, according to Ron Hamilton in his Patch the Pirate skits, he did. He had the poochie lip disease. And uh, his wife uh, went ahead and had Naboth bumped off, right? And then took the, the vineyard and, and, and handed it over to Ahab and said, Look what I got you. And why did he want a vineyard? Well, drunkenness was a big problem in Ahab's kingdom. And uh, that vineyard gave him one more avenue for wine, gave him one more avenue to get drunk. Uh, they were drunk. They, they, they struggled with drunkenness, their, their, their crown of pride, their drunkenness. Then we saw their depravity. Look down at verse number 8. It says, for all tables are full of vomit and filthiness so that there is no place clean. Their drunkenness led to vomiting everywhere. You say, well, is that metaphorical or is that literal? Well, if you've ever spent time around drunks, you know that vomit is just a part of what goes on when you drink and drink and drink and drink. So yes, this was not just metaphorical while it may have been. Literally, there was vomit everywhere from their drunken stupors. And we see not only their drunkenness and their depravity, but their demotion. And we looked at verses 1 through 4 and verse 2 especially. In fact, look at back at verse 2. Behold, the Lord hath a mighty and strong one, speaking of the Assyrian army that he was raising up to take over Israel, uh, which as a tempest of hail and a destroying storm, as a uh, flood of mighty waters overflowing shall cast down to the earth with a hand. I just imagine uh, Assyria, a God rather, reaching down with Assyria and just smacking down Israel and knocking them flat. And that's exactly what happened. It came on all of a sudden. Assyria rose up and demoted Israel from being a nation into being nothing. Uh, Proverbs twenty nine twenty three: A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. So we saw, number one, their crown of pride. Number two, we saw their covenant with death. Look over at verse number 15. Verse number 15 says, Because ye have said we have made a covenant with death, a covenant with death, and with hell are we at agreement. The root word for hell there in the Hebrew is the word sheol, which translates to our, our word grave. Is this talking about 
hellfire, I don't know. I, but I do know it's speaking at least of the grave. And they've made a covenant with the grave. They've made a covenant with death. Why? Where did this covenant come from? Well, we said letter A, it's the failure of leadership. The failure of leadership. We looked at Ahab and the political leadership and all of the Baal worship out of 1 Kings 16. Uh, we talked about how that um, 1 Kings 16 said that there was no king more wicked before him, not even close. He led the kingdom into a really, really dark place where he was evil on purpose, but it wasn't just the king, it was the spiritual leadership. Uh, verse number uh, uh, 7 of, of um, uh, Isaiah 28 talks about priests and prophets being wicked as well. And so this covenant of death came about from their leadership. Their leadership failed them, but it wasn't just leadership. It was falsehood and lies. Look at verse number 15 with me again of Isaiah 28. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation of stone, a tried stone. I'm sorry, I'm reading 16. 15, I'm sorry. Let, let me back up here. Because you have said we've made a covenant with death, with hell. Are we in agreement? Look here. When the overflowing scourge shall pass through, it shall not come unto us, for we have made lies our refuge. And under falsehood have we hid ourselves. So they're covering themselves from the destruction of the Assyrians with falsehood. They run, they're running to the fortress or the refuge of lies. They, they're hiding behind lies. They're, they're, they're covering up with falsehood and they've made a covenant with death. So we saw the crown of pride. We're looking at the fading, uh, the fading flower of pride. The crown of pride, their covenant with death. Let's move on and look at number three. Let's look at their cornerstone of recovery. Their cornerstone of recovery. Look at verse number 16 with me. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation a stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone. A sure foundation. He that believeth shall not make case. So we see here a cornerstone. A cornerstone. Who is this cornerstone? It's Jesus Christ. I could also ask this question. What is this cornerstone? And the answer is the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is to be the cornerstone of of our life. So let's look at this here. Uh, let me give you an A, B, and a C. And notice letter A, the power of Scripture. The power of Scripture. Look at verse number 9 with me. Isaiah 28. And look at verse number 9. Um, I love these verses. The church I uh, came out of in Maryland, uh, I graduated high school there and I was married there. Spent my first two years in ministry there prior to Granite Baptist. This would have been Rosedale Baptist Church in uh, Baltimore, um, the, I think that these might be that pastor's favorite verses in the whole Bible because I've heard him quote these verses over and over and over and over and over again. So I've got a, uh, I've got a lot of memories with hearing these verses while sitting in a pew. Look at them, uh, especially when we get down to verse 10. Look at verse 9. Uh, whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. For precept must be upon precept. Precept upon precept. Line upon line. Line upon line. Here a little. 
and their little. Look at verse 11. We're going to read down through 13. For with stammering lips and another tongue will he speak to his people, to whom he said, This is the rest wherewith ye may cause the weary to rest, and this is the refreshing, yet they would not hear. But the word of the Lord was unto them, precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Hear little and their little, that they may go, they might go and fall backward and be broken and snared and taken. The power of Scripture and line upon line, precept upon precept, hear little, their little. The power of Scripture is that when we follow the Word of God, Precept by precept, we let each line of Scripture teach us line upon line. We, we learn here a little. We learn there a little. We're growing thereby. It's the Word of God that is the cornerstone of the foundation by which we live our lives. Second Timothy chapter 3. Turn over there if you could. Hold your place in Isaiah 28. Second uh, Timothy 3 and verse 16. Quickly flip over there for me. It's a familiar passage. Uh, it's a verse that is used often and, and with good reason. This is one of those verses that I could, uh, you could wake me up at 2 a.m. and ask me to quote it, and I'd be able to do so. But as soon as I get up in church and have to quote it, I'm going to end up getting some word wrong. So I'm just going to take a peek to make sure I, I get it just right. Look at verse 16. All Scripture, all Scripture, line upon line, precept upon precept, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. Here are the four things it's profitable for. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness. Go ahead and look at 17. That the man of God may be perfect or mature, truly furnished unto all good works. What is to be the cornerstone under our feet? It is the word of God. It is to be the foundation of our life. Now, um, there are a lot of churches... Uh, a lot of good churches, a lot of churches that preach good truth that do not use a lot of Scripture. Uh, they're they're a half a verse here, half a verse there, and then the pastor just uh, goes on and on about opinion or his own knowledge of Bible may be shared, but there's not a lot of Scripture used. And then there are churches that aren't good churches. Uh, they, they, uh, they, they have... Uh, uh, the, the priest or the spiritual leader will read a, a few verses from the Bible and then give doctrine that's just way off base and uh, uh, way, way off, uh, uh, just, just nowhere near doctrinally accurate. Why? Because when we get away from Scripture as a church, apostasy is right around the corner. Apostasy is sure to find its way in when a church is not grounded corporately in Scripture and a church is not built with the foundation where Scripture is the cornerstone uh, of which uh, the keystone, uh, the most important stone, where if that's pulled, the whole building collapses. When Scripture's not uh, the, the, the cornerstone, it's just a matter of time until doctrinally that church collapses. It is so important that corporately our church is built precept upon precept. Line upon line, line upon line, here little, there little. Uh, I've had people say, Pastor, I, I miss topical preaching 
on Sunday evening when you would go topically through the Bible. Uh, I, I, the expository thing where you're going verse by verse through books of the Bible, I'm just not quite sure yet how I feel about that. And, and I've had a couple of people voice that to me. And then I read faces, right? I remember I got up and said on Sunday evening and Wednesday evening, we're going to be again going verse by verse through the Bible. And the look on some people's faces was like, oh, we are? It's a shift. Can I tell you it is an important shift? It is my goal that over the next 20 years, or within 20 years of my pastorate, we will have preached every line of Scripture. We will have gone through every book of the Bible. We will have covered line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And that we get all the way through the Word of God and we expound upon and understand and do our very best to be honest and sincere with each passage of Scripture, not to read into the Scripture what we want to see and what we want to understand, but to interpret the Scriptures exactly as they are and give the interpretation and then make proper applications, we see here that the Word of God is powerful. Now, that is speaking about the corporate level of Scripture, but how about you on a personal level? You see, it's good that you go to a church where the Word of God is preached through line upon line, precept upon precept, but in your own heart and in your own life, are you walking through the Word of God line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. And I love how verse number 9 talks about being weaned from the breast and off of the mother's milk. As you grow in the Lord and as you mature in the Lord, you move on from passages that are milk-oriented, easy to understand, and you elevate in your ability to be able to read through books like Leviticus and Ezekiel uh, and, and some of the minor prophets and begin to understand and grasp, and you grow thereby because if the Word of God is not a cornerstone to your own personal life, Listen, it's great you attend a church where the Word of God is taught and preached. It's great that you attend a church that's precept upon precept and line upon line. But if in your own life it's not that way, then you're setting your own life up for failure. You see, the Word of God has to be the cornerstone of our lives, not uh, what the culture tells us where to believe, not what the news media tells us where to believe, not what our friends, not what our, ch- our parents taught us growing up. It ought to be the Word of God that slowly but surely renews our mind and breaks us away from a conforming world. You understand that the Word of God oftentimes, not every time, but oftentimes is in direct contradiction to what the worldly philosophies are and only through Scripture can our minds be renewed. Line upon line, precept upon precept, precept upon precept. Here a little, there a little. We see, we see the power of Scripture, but notice let it be our patience with Scripture. Our patience with Scripture. Look at verse number 10. Verse number 10 of, uh, of uh, chapter 28. For precept must be upon precept. We're building a building one brick at a time, one precept at a time. We're growing thereby, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line. Here a little, mark these words, here a little and there a little. All right, let's all be, get super honest with each other. How many of you are, maybe you're here now, maybe you can think back to a time where you were. How many of you can remember a time where you opened your Bible and you read it and you thought to yourself, this just doesn't make any sense. 
You know, <laughs> are we all there? Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Man, I would get so convicted as a teenager. So convicted, especially 12, 13, 14, somewhere in, around the 15 age range, I hit my stride and started reading my Bible faithfully. 12, 13, 14, I would get so convicted because I would hear sermons like this one. Read your Bible and pray every day. And man, I'd go down to the front after the sermon and I'd say, Lord, help me to read my Bible. And I'd go home and I'd open up my Bible as a 12-year-old boy and I would read and I'd say, this just does not make any sense to me. And then uh, out of just force of character, I'd read my Bible for two, three, four days and then I'd fall off. I'd fall off. Am I telling your story or am I telling mine? You all know what I'm talking about? Uh, if you all experience what I'm, what I'm going through right here? And, and, and listen, it's a process that requires patience. James chapter 1. Turn over to James 1 and look with me at verse number 4. I just grabbed a big chunk of pages in my Bible and landed right on James 1. That was awesome. James 1 and look at verse number 4. This is a great verse. Again, Isaiah 28 tells us, Hear a little... There a little. Here a little, there a little. Verse 13 says something similar. Look at James chapter 1 and look at verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I have folks tell me all the time, they say, Pastor Lejeune, we love coming to church to hear you preach because you take a passage of Scripture that is hard for us to understand and you make it understandable. And praise the Lord. I work hard uh, for, uh, to be able to do that. But did you know that if you work at it long enough, you can do the same exact thing that I do? That's not reserved just for pastors. Hey, ladies, that's not reserved just for men. I, I've, uh, ha- I've listened to my wife. My, my wife has some podcasts that she'll tune in and listen to and I've, uh, that are by ladies for ladies. And I'm listening to this. I thought, oh. That's genius. Wow, that's good. I'm going to implement that in a message somewhere. Whether you are a pastor or not a pastor, whether you are a life group leader or not, whether you're male or female, whether you've been saved for a long time or a short amount of time, God, the Spirit of God can lead you into truth with the Word of God. But it requires hard work and it requires patience. Patience. We live in a throwaway society, right? Throwaway society. Um, if it don't work, what do we do? We throw it away and we go buy another one. I was watching, watching a show the other day, and they were talking about a guy who was a television repairman. You know, there aren't any television repairmen around anymore. You know why? Because when your television breaks, what do you do? You throw it away and go buy a new one. How many of you can remember back when you'd hold on to an appliance for 30 years, 25, 30 years? They build these things to break within five to ten years, do they not? And uh, you don't, I'm, listen, you can have an appliance repairman come to your house. It, it, you're just delaying the inevitable. You're going to end up buying a new fill-in-the-blank. We live in a throwaway society. We live in an insta- instantaneous gratification society. The key to the Christian life is this. It's going to require you to be patient. It's line upon line. It's precept upon precept. But it's here a little. It's their little, and then it's here a little, and then it's their little. And then you, you get there, you, you get to where you've grown in the Lord over 20 or 30 years, and you turn around and you look back and you say, wow, 
here a little and there a little, look where the Lord has taken me by His grace. How many of you here have been saved for 25 or 30 years? Would you raise your hand for me, 25 or 30 years? You've been saved 25, 30 years? How many of you can look back over your shoulder and say, by God's grace, look how far the Lord's brought me? Amen. Isn't it great? Isn't it great? But you don't get there overnight. Some Christians are like, uh, like, a, like a bottle rocket, right? And boom, they come crashing right back down. You look, wow, look at that guy take off. Look at that lady take off of the Lord. Oh, wait, here they come right back down to earth. You don't want to be that way, right? Here a little, there a little. Here a little, there a little. And, and we must be patient with Scripture. So we see letter A, the power of Scripture. Letter B, our patience with Scripture. Quickly, letter C, notice the personification of Scripture. The personification of Scripture. Now, you'll have to be patient with me. I'm a southern boy from the southeast, and words with more than three syllables begin to confuse me a little bit, and, and I have to pull out a, a dictionary and a thesaurus to even come up with these words. The personification. Am I saying that right, Brother Tom? The personification of Scripture. So look with me at verse number 16, Isaiah 28 and verse number 16. It says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I lay in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a, a tried stone, a precious, I love the, the, the way this is worded, Just it's beautiful. Speaking of Jesus, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation, he that believeth shall not make haste. What's amazing about verse 16 is that this is foreshadowing Jesus. This foreshadow would not happen for well over a thousand years. All right? And then Peter gets on the other side of Jesus and uses this same language, including the word precious. Turn over with me, if you would, to 1 Peter chapter 2. I really want everybody to see this. So even if you don't turn with me to every place, I encourage you to turn over to 1 Peter chapter number 2. One thing about attending White Oak Baptist Church is that if you put forth the effort, you bring a Bible. Now, if you use a Bible app, you're cheating, all right? But uh, you bring a Bible to church um, and you try to keep up with turning to the various places uh, it's just a matter of short order. You're going to learn your Bible pretty well. First Peter chapter number 2, and look at verse number 6. And uh, Peter is looking back to Isaiah, uh, right on the heels of Jesus having lived and died and, 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 and risen from the dead and ascending. Look at verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture. This is Isaiah 38. Behold, I lay in Sion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. Amen? But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. This chief cornerstone that was uh, 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 talked about in, in, in terms that were cloaked back in Isaiah 28, it, it's become not just some concept, not just some curious uh, a talking point for Jews uh, pr- prior to Christ. This has become realized, this has become personified in Jesus the Christ. 
Jesus the Christ. Listen, we hear uh, the name Jesus Christ used here at church. We, we hear His name taken in vain uh, uh, out, out by the Word. But understand that the word Christ means the chosen one, the promised one. And, and it is the same word as Messiah. Jesus the Christ is the precious cornerstone. Now watch this. If you believe in Jesus, He's precious. He's a stepping stone to eternity. If you reject Jesus as the cornerstone of your life, he becomes a stumbling block. No one goes to hell without tripping over Jesus Christ in the process. You say, what about the people who never hear his name? Well, they do not use the light given to them to get to Jesus. And so still, indirectly, they're tripping over the cornerstone that was rejected out of their heart and life and They're tripping over that as part of their covenant with death. We see the power of Scripture, our patience with Scripture, the personification of Scripture, the cornerstone of recovery. Let's finish out the message this evening and let's look at the coming of judgment. The coming of judgment. Go back to Isaiah 38 with me, or rather 28. Isaiah 28. And look at verse number 17. Isaiah 28. And look at verse 17. The Bible says, Judgment also will I lay to the line, and righteousness to the plummet. These are terms architects would use in building. And the hail shall sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters shall overflow the hiding place. Judgment for the Jews was imminent. Look back at verse number 6. Look back at verse 6. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment... And for strength to them that turn to the battle, to the gate. The coming of judgment. Quickly here, let me give you an A and a B. Notice letter A, the destruction of the scornful. The destruction of the scornful. Who is a scorner? I've laid this out many, many times. A scorner is someone who is intentionally leading others uh, to be a fool. Intentionally, a scorner is a fool, but a scorner is a recruit to take simple people and make them foolish. To take anyone who isn't a fool and work at leading them toward, uh, toward uh, being foolish. Uh, the kings and the prophets and the priests that were failing Israel and leading them into a covenant of death. The prophets and the priests and the, and, and the kings who were wearing the crown of pride on their head uh, were, 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 were uh, scornful people and destruction was coming. We read verse 17. Look at verse 18 and let's read down through 22. The Bible says, And your covenant with death shall be disannulled, and your agreement with hell shall not stand when the overflowing scourge shall pass through. Then ye shall be trodden down by it. Uh, from the time that it goeth forth, it shall take you, for morning by morning shall it pass over by day and night. And it shall be a vexation only to understand the report, for the bed is shorter than the man, uh, than that a man can stretch himself on it, and the covering or the blankets narrower than he that can wrap himself in it, for the Lord shall rise up as in Mount Perizim, he shall be wroth as in the valley of Gibeon, that he may do his work, his strange work, and bring to pass his act, his strange act. Now therefore, be ye not mockers, lest your hands be made strong, for I have heard from the Lord God of hosts a consumption even determined unto the whole earth. This was a 
hellfire and brimstone sermon Isaiah was preaching to uh, the uh, to the the um, nation of Israel just before judgment was coming in. He's saying, "Listen, you all are 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 um, uh, wealthy. You're well to do. You're proud. You're arrogant. You're stepping on the poor. You're taking advantage of people. Uh, you, you shake your fist at God with your drunken lifestyle." He said, "It's almost like you're staying at a hotel where the bed's too short." How many of you are here? ever stayed in a hotel and had to sleep, us tall guys, had to sleep in a bed where your feet hang off the end, right? I've got couches in my den at my house and I can't get comfortable on them because when I lay down, I got my feet all crunched up at the end of the couch and all the rest of my family can stretch out fine. For now, my kids are growing. But me, I'm all crunched up on those couches. He says, uh, listen, uh, you all have judgment coming. It's like you're sleeping on a bed where your feet hang off the end and you have a blanket that's too small to cover you up. Too small to cover you up. How many of you here ever get in a wrestling match over the blankets, right? Amen? Some of you don't even, you're not even married and you get in a wrestling match with blankets with yourself, right? And the next thing you know, your blankets are all over the floor. How's that happen, right? Um... You, uh, destruction is, is coming. He's saying you all are, 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 are filled with pride and you've got this covenant. You don't think it's a covenant with death, but it is. And this covenant is going to be disannulled and God's going to walk all over you. He's going to take away your lies and falsehood and you're going to realize uh, the destruction uh, He's sending your way. We've seen in Scripture prior, Assyria would come in and did come in and carry away the ten northern tribes of Israel, also known as Ephraim, uh, um, Samaria. Assyria would also conquer most of the southern kingdom, stopping just short of taking over Jerusalem. So this is a this is a prophecy against Israel mostly and Judah somewhat. Letter B, we see the discretion of Jehovah, the discretion of Jehovah. Look at verse 23. And we'll read down through verse 29. By the way, as I get ready to read this, those of you that know your Bible, you may know the parable of the tares and the wheat. The tares and the wheat. Keep that parable in mind as we read verse 23 through 29. I think you'll see some similarities. Give ye ear and hear my voice. Hearken and hear my speech. Doth the plowman plow all day to sow? Doth he open and break the clods of his ground? And when he hath made plain the face thereof, doth he not cast abroad the fitches, and scatter the cumin, and cast in the principal wheat, and, uh, and the uh, appointed barley, and the rye in their place? For his God doth instruct him to discretion. There's the wheat and the tares, which is which, and both teach him. For the fitches are not threshed with a threshing instrument, neither is a cartwheel turned about upon the cumin, but the fitches are beaten out with a staff, and the cumin with the rod. Bread corn is bruised because he will not ever be threshing it, nor break it with the wheel of his cart, nor bruise it with his horsemen. This also cometh forth from the Lord of hosts, which is wonderful in counsel and excellent in working. What I read, back in verse 26, I think 26 is really the key verse from 23 to 29. Verse 26 says, For his God doth uh, instruct him to discretion. Discretion. Discretion is the key word. And then we see a, a, a laying out of which instruments are used depending on uh, which 
uh, which uh, uh, crop we're, we're trying to harvest or break free here. And watch this now. Um, Jesus would teach in the New Testament, let the tares grow up with the wheat, and the Lord will use the discretion at the last judgment of who is truly saved and who is just a phony in church that wasn't saved, who was putting on. Here in the Old Testament, we're getting the idea that God uses discretion with who he judges and how he judges. Who he judges and how he judges. For those who are stubborn and hard, God is going to beat and beat and beat. But to those who are like a softer uh, crop, God uses a soft instrument in order to separate uh, that uh, wheat from the chaff. If you were hard-hearted, I'm going to make an application here. If you were hard-hearted and stubborn and, and, and set your ways and stiff-necked, boy, God might just very well have to wail on you to get you to come around. How many of you here at times can be hard-hearted and stiff-necked and God's got to wail on you a little bit? That's not fun. Listen, it's not fun having God. How does God usually... Um, Correct us. Health and finances. Well, he can, you can have all the money set aside and boom, just like that, he can take it away, can he? You can be healthy today and, and sick in the hospital tomorrow. I, I don't want God to have to pick up the, the, the club of these things or relationship struggles. Isn't that another one God can use? Right? And have to wail on me because I'm being hard. Boy, I'd rather God come along and just have to gently correct me. Think about a, a, a parent who's got two children. One child is, is malleable and compliable. Its spirit is supple. Spirit is easy to mold and shape. And then the other child is strong-willed and stubborn. Listen, you're not going to go get the biggest paddle you can find and just wail on that child who has got a tender heart and is quick to correct. But you very well may do that to a child who is stubborn and will not listen to anything you say. Right? I don't want to be that hard-hearted, hard-headed, strong-willed child with the Lord. I want God to just easily prod me through this, His Holy Spirit and say, you know, you shouldn't have said that. You were, you were wrong there and you owe that person an apology. You told a lie right there and you need to go own it and make it right. Yes, Lord. Not, ah, whatever, everybody sins. Ah. You know what? I've got some character flaws, but I'm just setting my ways and I'm too old to change. With God, you're never too old to change. Right? You're asking Him to pull out the rod and just wail on you to get you to behave. I don't want God to wail on me. God doesn't want to wail on me. God doesn't want to wail on you. He's looking for that tender heart. He uses discretion. And, and, and by the way, his discretion, his discernment is always perfect. It's always perfect. I, I, I think some people, and again, I think a lot of this comes from our upbringing. Some of you grew up in a home where 
strong disciplinarian, right? Um, you know, um, depending on what mood your parents are in, you, you very well could just get hammered hard. And oftentimes we sort of wince at God because we were raised that way. And then other people raised in homes, they're allowed to get away with everything. And they just think, oh, well, God's going to, you know, whatever. God's just, uh, you know, cool, man, do what you want. Live however you want. And God's not that way. And uh, we have to understand that God wants us to do what's right. He's not looking to discipline us just for the fun of it. He gets no thrill out of it. It breaks his heart. And he has that discernment. One day, that discernment will come into play when it comes to eternity. I get a, and I'll finish with this. I get a lot of questions about, uh, well, i got a letter C here. Let me give you a letter C quickly. The diadem of King Jesus. The diadem of King Jesus. Look at verse 5 and 6, and we'll finish out. Uh, we'll look at this, and I'll go back to what I was going to say a moment ago. 5 and 6. In that day shall the Lord of hosts be for a crown of glory and for a diadem of beauty. There's that word, diadem. Unto the residue of his people. And for a spirit of judgment to him that sitteth in judgment, and for strength to them that turn the battle to the gate. One day King Jesus is going to sit on a throne and wear his diadem or his crown. Now, okay, I'm going to change the ending here. Look back at verse 1, because I think this is really awesome how this chapter unfolds. Look at verse 1. You have Ahab and all of the wicked kings that ruled Israel. It talks about the crown of pride and the fading flower. But then you look at verse number... Five, and you look at King Jesus who will one day rule in the millennial and says, In the day shall the Lord of hosts uh, be for a crown of glory. You know, it's a good thing if you take off that crown of pride and you worship the Lord and you put on the crown of glory. And one day, uh, we'll, and by the way, you won't be a fading flower. You'll be a, a flower that flourishes. And you'll be a flourishing flower. There you go. Uh, you'll be a, a flower that doesn't fade but flourishes and you'll, you'll get to rule and reign with Jesus one day along with the residue of his people. So we see the diadem of King Jesus, and um, uh, I look forward to that day. I look forward to the day where there's no more night, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more struggle, no more sadness, no more hospitals. I, I look forward to a day where I will never have to do another funeral. I won't ever have to deal with... Um, um, Strife in the middle of a marriage or in the middle of a church or uh, all of that will be gone because we'll be in the presence of King Jesus and we'll be made perfect. Let's keep pressing forward to that day. Amen? I was talking to a church member earlier this morning and we were talking about when Jesus is going to come back. And listen, I saw, actually I've talked to two church members about this in the last week. And I think a great way, to, uh, one, of, one of those church members made this point, I think a great way to live by it is, boy, plan as though he's coming back tomorrow. But live your life as though, listen, he may not come back tomorrow. He may not come back in our lifetime. We hope as though he does. But we live as though, we live as though for him, we live as though we have our whole life left in front of us to live for the Lord. So let's be watching, but let's be working. And when Jesus comes back, boy, things are going to get really, really, really sweet. Amen? All right. Let's stand together and be dismissed with a word of prayer. I, uh, I credit the, the early dismissal time to Brother Kyle uh, ex expediting the prayer service. did a great job. Amen? And I didn't preach a shorter sermon. You just shortened that part of the service up. So thank you for that. Great job. And I do hope you'll take your prayer sheet home 
and pray over these prayer requests and uh, keep those in mind. Well, hey, let's be dismissed with prayer. Be, be, keep each other in your hearts and minds the rest of the week, and let's, uh, let's bear one another's burdens. Brother Okai, if you would, close us in prayer.